The following episode contains major plot points of movies. A spoiler warning is advised. This episode also contains topics that may be disturbing for some viewers, so viewer discretion is also advised. E-I-E-I-O. Hello. Welcome to another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I am your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. And today we're going to be discussing a movie that Aaliyah really likes. Yeah. And I'm not too much of a big fan of because it's really fucking weird. And this is a remake debate. Yeah, we haven't done one of these in a while. I can't remember when the last time we did one. I think it was probably before season three. Yeah, probably probably about year, year and a half. Actually, no, wait. We're on season four. I'm sorry. This was, it was, I know we yeah. definitely have done a few in season three. Mm-hmm. I just don't remember doing one as of this season. Yeah, I feel like it's been a year. Oh, I'm so tired. Me too. We just had dinner and... I made the mistake. Usually whenever we have like salads for dinner. She didn't make a steak. She just made a mistake. I made a mistake because usually what happens is Kyle and I, we do marinated chicken breast in salad. Mm-hmm. And I like to do this thing where I combine Thousand Island dressing, which is a cream-based dressing, and mixing it with Italian dressing, which is an oil-based dressing. Gross. Neither which are good combinations if you're somebody like me with IBS. Why do you do it then? And then on top of that, I had some ice cream after dinner. Yeah, so your ass is making French with you. I'm trying not to poop my pants. You're going to poop your pants. I hope not. (laughs) I'm worried about going to sleep and then being too relaxed. You're not cool unless you pee your pants, but No. no. No, I don't want that to happen. But anyway. But I do want to apologize for not announcing that we weren't going to do a podcast episode last week. It wasn't really because of like the holiday or anything, but Colin had to go out of town for a guy's trip. And we didn't really have anything prepared prior to the trip. So there was no episode last weekend. Is there anything you want to talk about before we get into Oh, I thought you were going to be like, is there anything you want to say to the audience? I'm like... (laughs) Do you have anything to say for yourself? I'm like, I'm sorry. (laughs) But yeah, no. Pearl's on Showtime now. Who gives a shit? Well, you don't fucking care. Anyway. (laughs) I love how you just realize that now. You're like, oh, you don't fucking care. I don't know if anybody remembered, but when I saw Pearl, I saw it with our friend Carolyn, and I hadn't seen X yet. And I've been trying to get a hold of it for quite some time, and we finally paired our Paramount Plus with Showtime, so we were able to watch X. It is a roller coaster of a movie, but Pearl is a fucking trip. So I know <laughs> Colin, I know it's not something that Colin wants to watch, but I do want you to watch it because it is pretty intriguing. I'm good. I rather kinda, I rather watch the Barbarian, honestly. But X kind of goes in line with what we'll, we will be talking about in this episode. Mm-hmm. But I did want to talk about one more thing. You and I did start to watch Bury the Bride, which is a Sniper One directed film. Spider One. You sound like you sound like you said Sniper One. Did I say Sniper One? Yeah. I yeah. meant to say Spider One from Power Man Five Thousand. I and know, the brother, no, yeah. and the brother of Rob Zombie. Yeah, Sniper One is the cousin to both Rob no. and Spider. No, I'm just so tired trying not to boot my pants. Anyway, <laughs> you know that's a great ending for a show. I'm just so tired. I just don't want to poop my pants. But it's been talked about a little bit on all horror platforms, like Fangoria and Bloody Disgusting have been talking about its release. It's right now on Tubi. 
we started watching it. We were about 30 minutes into it, and we just got to the first kill scene of the movie. I do want to do a more deeper dive of it, but what do you think so far? Of what? Bury the Pride. I've only watched a little bit of it. It was a little bit, like, slow and boring. But I think with this speeding up to, like, the, the hillbillies being vampires, it kind Spoiler of... Spoiler alert. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, like, a very bad, poor taste version of Near Dark. I kind of like it, though. I mean, I know Near Dark is... Near probably, Dark is way better than Bury the Bride. Well, we have to watch the rest of it to really get to. I know, but know I could tell. I could tell. I could tell. For right now to the end, it's just gonna be just crap. We'll have to wait and see, because like I said, we haven't finished it yet, but we just started it. I know it's a bit of a slow burn, but. But I will say I prefer Near Dark over Bury. You mean Bury the Bride? Yeah, whatever. Bury the Bride. I prefer Near Dark. All right. Is there anything else that you want to talk about horror related? I got one more thing. Shut up. The Five Night at Freddy's trailer just dropped today. I just today. saw that. I what do you think? I actually think that's pretty fucking cool. What does that remind you of, though? Oh, that movie, Wally Land or whatever. Willy's Wonderland. Willy's Wonderland with it's Nicolas Cage. so much like Willy's Wonderland. I mean, to be fair, I mean, the concept of the Five Night at Freddy's video game is the same. You're a security guard at night, and you yeah. have to watch... Oh, Friday, the- Friday Nights of Fre- Five Nights at Freddy is... Actually, it came out before um, Willy's Wonderland. I know, but I'm trying to say that the concept of the video game is that you are security guard working the overnight shift, and your job is to watch the security monitors and make sure the animatronic creatures yeah. don't come after And the you. kid who played in the Hunger to... Games is in it. Yes. I can't remember his name, but he is in it. And mm-hmm. he plays a security guard, and the whole thing seems really ominous. And I thought at one point in time I saw Matthew Lillard. Oh, he movie. is. He's in the movie. That's going to be amazing. Then. Oh, yeah. I'm well, Matthew Lillard it. in horror movies, it's just like how people enjoy s'mores. You can't get enough of it. You want more. S'mores. I do love s'mores. But anyway. And Matthew well, Lillard. Yeah, I do. So but li- anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing I was thinking to myself. Yes. I just saw that Animal Farm. Do you remember that story? I do know of it, but refresh my memory. Animal Farm is basically it's a political satire um, mm-hmm. that was written. The book was written by Orson Welles. Yes. And basically it's kind of about how man takes over the farm and treats the animals like crap. And it's like a hypocrisy for them. And literally, they fight back the humans to kill them and take over the farm. And then, when everything was going right in, on the farm and everything, the pigs take over and they kind of fall fall on the same line as the humans. To they treat the humans the way they were being treated. Yeah, like the pigs treat the animals the way the humans were treating them. Right. In the beginning. Right. So it's kind of like that whole same thing. Like there is a, animals so, are, animals are created equal. But some animals are created more equal than others. That doesn't make any sense the way you just worded that. So humans were running the animal farm mm-hmm. and then the animals overthrew the humans. Yeah. And then the pigs oh, specifically yeah. started running the show Yep. And in the same fashion that the humans were. Mm-hmm. I'd have to read into that. But what is the whole point of Animal Farm? What were you trying to get at? Well, I just found out that Animal Farm is actually on Amazon Prime, the movie. Okay. It's on, on one of the streaming services. I'm like, I haven't seen that movie since high school, and I'm going to check that movie out. 
again because I haven't seen it in, in like a couple decades. Yeah. And that movie, and you know what's funny? There's a lot of people in that movie. There, Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. Ian Holmes. Mm-hmm. Julia Dreyfus. Okay. Um, she's in it. Patrick Stewart's in it. Okay. I mean, it's a crazy film. I feel like if anything, Animal House is pretty much not, not Animal House, Animal Farm. I feel like to me, that's a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Evolve its own. Okay. And um, and actually, uh, Ice Nine Kills actually had a song about Animal Farm. Oh, okay. Which is called uh, Nature of the Beasts. Interesting. And the video to it is pretty nuts. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. So, is there anything else you want to get into before we get into the remake debate? Okay, I know you're not interested in Animal Farm, but Well, no, yeah, it sounds interesting. No, we we just don't have it. Amazon Prime. No, we actually do. We have Amazon uh, Prime video. We do through a friend of ours, but I always worry about playing anything on Amazon Prime. No, honey, I've been watching movies on that thing like it's normal. I still, I still worry about it. Oh, sometimes. stop being that paranoid weirdo. Still. Anyway, let's anyway. go with the let's go with your thing. So about I'd say like six months, so almost a year ago, I came across the movie Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. It's a movie that was released in 1962, and it stars Bette Davis and Joan Crawford. Betty Davis. Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Thank you, Colin. In real life, they were natural rivals in the Hollywood industry. That concept alone was enough to be a very interesting way to make a movie. But I've always heard about it, and I never really knew what it was. So when it was on Tubi, I took the opportunity to watch it. And I was really intrigued, because Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is more of a thriller than a horror film. And it actually falls under a specific subgenre of horror that I never really knew about until I started doing research on this movie. But Colin, have you ever heard of hag horror? Not until you told me, but every time you say horror, it sounds like <clears throat> I know. horror. I know. So you call We it, have been over this. So you call I have a speech impediment, you fuck. Well, your speech impediment basically calls it hag horror. It's hag horror. And I many like hag horror better. Are you done? Yes. Many critics considered this movie as the creation of the hag horror subgenre, also known as psychobitty or hag exploitation. Hmm. I thought you would get a kick out of psychobitty. I like psychobitty. <laughs> and in the introduction of Carolyn Young's novel Crazy Old Ladies, the story of <laughs> hag horror, Young hypothesizes you may be wondering what defines a film as hag horror. But you're likely already familiar with this niche of frightful filmmaking. Hags can be bitchy bosses, controlling wives, or wronged mothers driven into rages. But they can also be much more sinister and supernatural, which is crones and wise women. Sounds like the kid version of that with 101 Dalmatian. Like Cruella DeVille. Yeah. Bitchy bosses. She's a hag whore. uh, She's a hag ish type of woman like yeah and also um flowers in the attic mm-hmm. that's a good example of that too also matilda yeah the trunchable uh yeah the principal so there really is a genre to this there's a certain subgenre to this but that's only if the hag is the focal point of the movie like in this one and like i said the whatever happened to baby jane is the movie that started that subgenre 
And it's a really interesting movie because it talks a lot about the horrors and the downside of childhood acting. This is basically like the the grandma of movies. You know, they call the grandfathers of like this or that. It's the grandmothers of of hag movies. It's the The introduction. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. In parallel with movies like Ty West's X and even Last Night in Soho is considered a hag movie or a hag horror movie. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really interesting. And like I said, once I first watched Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be really interesting if they remade this movie? And then when I did a little bit more research in it, I actually found out that they did remake it in 1991 with real-life sister actresses Vanessa Redgrave and her sister Lynn Redgrave. So it's a very interesting concept that they went with. But after watching that movie, and that's the version that you watched with me... I don't like it. (laughs) It's essentially the same movie, but with some slight differences. Still horrible. Well, I know you didn't like it because for you it was incredibly intense, and I understand why. But there are some differences to it that... We will get into. I'm not going to go through the entire plot for both movies. I'm just going to do the entire plot for the first one. Also, and then I'm going to talk about the differences in the second one. Also, the another example of hag, I almost said hog, hag, hag horror movies is uh, Mommy Dears. Yes, which is a Joan Crawford movie. That is horrifying. That yep. is scary, especially the way she looks in that movie. My yeah. God. That is a hag horror movie. And each of them would go on to do other movies like Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, I believe is a movie that Betty Davis was in. And then there's another one that Joan Crawford did that's considered to be a hag horror, but I'm forgetting. I think it was called Straight Jacket. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll get into the movie then. So Whatever Happened to Baby Jane was released on November 6th of 1962 and has a runtime of two hours and 12 minutes long. Wow. It was directed by Robert Aldrich. Mm-hmm. And it was actually based off of a novel written by Henry Farrell. And when they started working on production for the movie, Farrell got to work alongside Lucas Heller to write the screenplay for the movie. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when producer William Fry considered taking on renditioning the novel in 1960, he and friend Betty Davis tried to get Alfred Hitchcock interested in directing the film He had declined as he was busy promoting Psycho and trying to develop the birds into a screenplay. Hmm. What do you think so far of that? It's nuts. But can you imagine Alfred Hitchcock directing that movie? I mean, it would definitely be a lot more scarier than what it was. It would be a lot more intense. It would probably be shot a lot more differently than how this movie was. Mm -hmm. But we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah. It stars Betty Davis as Baby Jane Hudson, Joan Crawford as Blanche Hudson, Victor Buono as... Edwin Flagg, and this was his only Oscar-nominated performance really? in this film. Oh, wow. Yep. Mady Norman as Elvira Stitt, and Barbara Merrill as Lisa Bates, who was the real-life stepdaughter of Betty Davis. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that until I did my research, which I thought was pretty cool. That's and cool. actually, in 1987, Betty Davis published a memoir titled This and That, and Davis mentions her time working on the film and some creative liberties she made. For example, the film was originally going to be shot in color, but Davis opposed this, saying that it would just make a sad movie look pretty. And I think that's actually pretty genius, too, because have you ever seen 
actual photos of the Adams Family TV set. Mm-hmm. The Adams Family show. Yeah. The original. Yes. So when it's not in black and white, the entire set was actually like very vibrant pink. Really? Yeah. So when you when you shoot it in black and white, it just looks dark because of the shade of pink that they used. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have like a reference to show you of what the pink color was, but you can look it up online. It's really intriguing. Okay. So Davis also made or had a lot of control over how her makeup should be done for the film. She imagined the older Jane as someone who would never wash her face, just put on another layer of makeup. Davis said, quote, What I had in mind, no professional makeup man would have dared to put on me. One man told me he was afraid that if he did what I wanted, he would might never work again. Jane looked like many women one sees on Hollywood Boulevard. In fact, mm. author Henry Farrell partnered the character of Jane after these women. One would presume by the way they looked that they once were actresses and were now unemployed. What do you think? Hmm. I mean, it explains a lot. Yeah, because I know you, you only watch the remake... Mm-hmm. But the makeup to Baby Jane in the remake is sort of similar to the original. I feel like it looks more intense in the uh, remake. Yes. She took pride when Pharrell visited the set one day and exclaimed, Oh my God, you look just exactly as I pictured Baby Jane. The outrageousness of Davis's appearance caused some concern for Aldrich and the producers, who feared it might be too over the top. However, as time went on, they came to see that Davis's instincts for the characters were right. Mm-hmm. And she, like I said, she had a really good insight to this, which is really, it, it's what made her a really successful actress in her time. Yeah. And the public was well aware of the longstanding feud between Davis and Crawford, so this was very much like stunt casting. Meant to play off the real-life drama, and it worked. This movie was a critical and box office smash, and they were meant to repeat this formula in their next video or movie, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. But problems with the director and Davis caused Joan to be replaced by Olivia de Havilland at the last minute. Oh man, that sucks. Yeah, because even before, during, and after production of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, there was still this long-standing feud between the two of them that would go on and... Between uh, Crawford and Davis? Davis, yes. Davis. It does. When production began, both Betty Davis and Joan Crawford were excited about the project. The budget was shoestring and the schedule was tight, but they were thrilled to get to work every day and trusted that Robert Aldrich would make a wonderful movie. The film is considered by many as Joan Crawford's last important pictures. After this film, she was downgraded to several lower budget horror films, including her last picture, Trog, released in 1970. Did you ever see that movie? Which one? Trog? Trog. The fuck is a Trog? I have no clue. I haven't seen it. <laughs> but it's like a low-budget horror movie from the 1970s. Do you want to discuss anything else before we get into the plot of the movie? Nope. So in 1917, Baby Jane Hudson was a spoiled and erratic child actress who performed in vaudeville theaters across the country with her father, who acted as her manager and performed with her on stage on the piano. As her success grows, a line of porcelain dolls is made in her image. Meanwhile, her shy older sister Blanche grows to resent her as she is treated with contempt by the arrogant Jane. As the sisters age over time, their 
situations undergo a reversal. Jane's style of performance becomes outdated and her career declines as she descends into alcoholism while Blanche becomes an acclaimed motion picture actress. Blanche attempts to honor her promise to her late mother by going as far as to prevail on producers to guarantee acting roles for Jane. One evening in 1935, Blanche's career is snuffed out when she is paralyzed from the waist down by in a mysterious car accident that is unofficially blamed on Jane, who was found three days later in a drunken stupor. A side note, Davis's character of deranged former child star baby Jane Hudson was wildly believed to be partially based on the former silent movie actress Mary Miles Minter. Minter's career ended abruptly in 1922 when press coverage suggested that she was a prime suspect in the still unsolved murder of director William Desmond Taylor. Do you know who that is? No. William Desmond Taylor was a film director and actor, a popular figure in the growing Hollywood motion picture colony of the 1910s and early 1920s. He directed 59 silent films between 1914 and 1922, and acted in 27 films between 1913 and 1915. That's a lot of movies in a short amount of time. How many again? 27 in two years. That's actually really good. Yeah. But he died from a gunshot wound on February 1st of 1922. He was 49 years old. Can you imagine how many movies that is in two years? Like, that's a that's like so many movies in a month a piece. Like, he had to do that many movies a month. Right. And although she was never formally charged, Minter survived for decades after as a progressively delusional recluse. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. And also, Morbid does a much more deeper dive story of William Desmond Taylor's life and death. So if you ever want to know more about it, I would recommend you guys check that out. All right. Sounds good. We'll check it out. Yep. Mm -hmm. By 1962, the Hudson sisters are living together in a mansion purchased with Blanche's movie earnings. Blanche's mobility is limited as she is wheelchair-bound and lacks an elevator to her upstairs bedroom. Jane, unhinged and resentful of Blanche's success, regularly abuses Blanche and prepares to revive her singing routine with hired pianist Edwin Flagg. When Blanche informs Jane she plans to sell the house, Jane rightly suspects Blanche will have her committed to a psychiatric hospital once the house is sold. She removes the telephone from Blanche's room and makes numerous attempts to cut her off from the outside world. While Jane goes out, Blanche drags herself down the stairs and calls her doctor for help. Jane returns to find Blanche on the phone and beats her unconscious before mimicking Blanche's voice to dismiss the doctor. After tying Blanche to her bed and locking her in her room, Jane fires their housekeeper, Elvira, when she comes by to work. While Jane is away, Elvira sneaks into the house and attempts to access Blanche's room. Concerned by the lack of a response, Elvira tries to break the door open with a hammer. Jane returns home and reluctantly gives Elvira the key. As soon as Elvira enters Blanche's room, Jane takes the hammer and kills Elvira. Edwin comes by the house, but Jane won't answer the door. That night, she uses Blanche's wheelchair to move Elvira's body to her car. That's pretty sadistic. Yeah, because now she's yeah. going. She's going so far as to not only thwart her her sister's attempts from making contact with anybody outside of the house. Mm -hmm. She's now trying to prevent people from outside coming in, and even like Elvira, the housekeeper. Like, 
this is the first time I've ever seen we ever see Jane lash out at somebody who wasn't Blanche. Yeah. In scenes where Jane imitates Blanche's voice, the voice is actually Joan Crawford's voice and not Bed- Betty Davis, as Davis could not master Crawford's voice properly. Mm-hmm. The wig Betty Davis wears throughout the film and, unbeknownst to both leads, had been worn by Joan Crawford in an earlier MGM movie. Because it had been re-groomed, Crawford didn't recognize it. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, pretty much. Also, I gotta wonder how old that wig must be. Because if you see the wig that Betty Davis wears in this movie, it's like really worn. Hmm. Baby Jane picks up her altered costumes from Western Costumes, which is, in reality, one of the largest costume houses in Hollywood. Yeah? Yeah. The, West, the Western one? Western Costumes. Hmm. Yeah, it's like a costume shop. It's uh, They distribute a lot of costumes for production companies. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. That's cool. Yep. The budget was limited, so production wasn't able to use the usual process screenshots for Jane's driving scenes. Betty Davis actually drove around Hollywood with cameraman Ernest Holler perched either in the back seat of the car or over the front fender in order to get the shots he needed. Davis said in an interview in 1987, quote, To this day, I smile when I remember the first time Jane drove down Beverly Boulevard in an old Hudson. The expressions on the faces of people in other cars when they saw me were hysterical. Lots of mouths dropped. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. You're you're walking or driving around Hollywood Boulevard, and all of a sudden you see a car go by with a cameraman on the fucking hood mm-hmm. of the car. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on here? A few days later, the police call Jane in regards to Elvira's whereabouts as she has been reported missing by her family. Jane panics and attempts to leave, taking Blanche with her. Before they go, a drunken Edwin is escorted to the house by police who leave him there. He discovers Blanche bound to her bed, and Edwin flees and notifies the authorities. Jane, in a fit of infantile regression, takes Blanche to a beach where she sang as a child. Mm -hmm. The next morning, word of Elvira's disappearance and Blanche's condition is on the radio, and the police are on the lookout for the sisters. Blanche, starved, dehydrated, and near death on a blanket, tells the real story of the car accident to relieve Jane of guilt, saying the accident was her own fault. On the night of the accident, Blanche tried to run Jane over because she was angry at her drunken sister for mocking her at a party earlier that night. Blanche's spine broke when her car struck the iron gates outside their mansion, and she dragged herself to the front of the car's hood Mm -hmm. to stage the cause of the accident and frame Jane. Blanche took advantage of Jane's shock and subsequent bender, concealing the real cause of the accident from her, which subjected Jane to a life of guilt, loneliness, and servitude. Now aware of the truth, a saddened Jane responds, You mean, all this time, we could have been friends? Jane gets ice cream for herself and Blanche from a nearby eatery stand and is recognized by two police officers who ask her to lead them to Blanche. Jane dodges the officer's inquiry and dances before the crowd of curious onlookers. The officers find Blanche nearby and rush to save her. That's how the movie ends. Damn. Does it sound a lot like the remake that you and I watched? Yeah, except for the one we watched Mm -hmm. that before was uh, the sister had ice cream. 
They, well, they both get ice cream at the end. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So did they do that in the first movie too? Did they get ice cream on the beach and then... The- Not when they were kids. So the flashback scenes in the beginning of their childhood, it's... Baby Jane Hudson is a vaudeville performer. Like, do you know how Judy Garland got her start in show business? Yeah. Her and her sisters were the Gump sisters, and mm-hmm. they would perform vaudeville stage performances across mm-hmm. theaters around the country. That's how Shirley Temple was, too. She exactly. started because of vaudeville. Actually, a lot of these performers and famous people back in the day all started because of vaudeville. Exactly. But she became spoiled and very erratic because her parents always catered to her wants and needs. I mean, you know who else is vaudeville? Hmm. For all those people out there, really interesting facts. Vaudeville, a lot of comedic acts like the Marx Brothers, the Three Stooges, and Abbott and Costello were all originally vaudeville actors before they became big-time movie stars. Yeah, but because of the all the attention she was getting from her parents and her from her fans and people... She would begin to act out a lot more. And then over time, as entertainment industries developed from vaudeville to silent pictures to then motion pictures and movies, her performance acts were becoming more outdated, which then gave room for Blanche to step up and become an actress. And then she became the hottest ticket in town, and Mm -hmm. Jane didn't like that. But she always maintained this delusion that her success in her vaudeville days is what paid for Blanche's house and Blanche's car and mm-hmm. her career. Sort of similar to how she kind of throws in her face in the, in the remake, but mm-hmm. we'll get more into that in a little bit. Out of everything that I've mentioned so far about the original, what do you think? I don't like the movie still. You can't change my <laughs> mind on that shit, but... <laughs> But I guess it's a good movie that originated uh, Hag Horror. Hag Horror. I like to say it the other way. But anyway, I feel like it definitely inspired a subgenre, so that's good. And it's really, and it really was successful for its time. Although many believe the film would be a flop, even on a budget of notably less than $750,000, it took just 11 days to go into profit and was one of 1962's biggest box office hits. This film was a smash hit upon initial release, recouping its original budget in only, like I said, 11 days, eventually grossing over $9 million. Wow. Yep, and adjusted... That's pretty good for 1920. Yeah, in adjusted 2017 dollars, this would be equivalent to... $72,596,999 $72,596,920.53. That's a lot of fucking money. Well, it did that good. Wow. Yeah. But I'm they, surprised. Yeah. Remember how I mentioned earlier about the feud between mm-hmm. Joan Crawford and... Oh, I thought you were talking about the feud with Steve Harvey. Betty Davis was nominated for an Oscar for Best Actress for her performance in this movie. Had Davis won, it would have set a record number for wins for one actress. And according to the book, Betty and Joan, The Divine Feud by Sean Considine. Considine? Yeah, Considine. Considine. Davis and Joan Crawford had a lifelong mutual hatred. Keep going, damn. Betty Davis and Joan Crawford had a lifelong mutual hatred. And a jealous Crawford actively campaigned against Davis winning Best Actress. 
Even Telly, Annie, Bancroft, that if Bancroft won and was unable to accept the award, she would be happy to accept it on her behalf. And according to the book, on Oscar night, Davis was standing in the wings of the theater, waiting to hear the name of the winner. When it was announced that Bancroft had indeed won for The Miracle Worker, which was also released in 1962, Joan marched past Davis with barely an excuse me and swept on stage to accept Bancroft's Oscar. Oh. Yeah. That's how fucking bitter and petty Joan was of Betty Davis. There's actually a movie about the two of them where Jessica Lange plays Joan Crawford. It was actually titled Feud and was released in 2017. So we'll go into the differences now between the original and the remake. I thought you said there's really no difference. There is a few differences, but like I said, I'm not going to go into a deep dive plot of the remake because like I said, it's essentially shot for shot, frame for frame of the original, but with a couple of differences. So the remake of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane was released on February 17th of 1991 and has a runtime of an hour and 33 minutes. So it was a little bit shorter than the original. It was directed by David Green. It stars Lynn Redgrave as Jane Hudson, Vanessa Redgrave as Blanche Hudson, Bruce A. Young as Dominic, Amy Steele as Cotty Trotter. You remember Amy Steele. She was in Friday the 13th Part 2, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And John Glover as Billy Corn, And that's corn like the band, not like the vegetable. Okay. Or grain or whatever you call it. Wait, he's wait, he's from Corn. No, Billy Corn. Oh. So unlike the 1962 original, this remake portrays the sisters on two levels, juxtaposing their animosity with a deeply defined, if strained, affection for one another. Because there's a few tender moments between Blanche and Jane, where even in their childhood, when Blanche is more resentful of Jane's success and how it makes her more spoiled and arrogant towards her, Mm -hmm. you know, she still finds a way to feel some sort of compassion and empathy towards her own sister. Okay. Like, there's even that moment where they're in the bathroom, remember? Like, Blanche tries to extend an olive olive branch to Jane after they had an argument by offering her to help with her hair and everything. Mm -hmm. And they have this fun, tender moment with their... You know, looking back on their childhood and fond memories at the beach and things like that. And then, I guess, Jane gets carried away with the scissors and she cuts a lot of Blanche's hair off. Uh, Yeah. You remember that moment. Yes, I do remember that moment. I don't want to, but I do. (laughs) What was it about this movie that you hated? Everything. Was it just, you just didn't like the way it made you feel? It was just so mentally disturbing. It really was, especially how the one sibling treated the other. Right. (laughs) Other differences between the original and the remake is that in the remake, the childhood scenes take place in the 1940s, where Baby Jane is a TV child star performing, like, Western-themed shows with Blanche as her stunt double. And Baby Jane's acting career eventually pays for Blanche's acting classes that lead to her success as an actress into adulthood. You remember that? Mm Mm-hmm. We didn't really know in the beginning of the 
first movie or the original movie that Blanche had any sort of acting talent. And it wasn't until like later on the movie when they've reached adulthood in like, I believe it's like 1935 is when she has her accident. But you know, she's making movies and she's trying to help her sister get acting roles and yeah, nobody's liking any of her movies and stuff. So it becomes like hard for her, you know. And after the accident, it is mentioned that Jane was committed to a psych ward. Because mm-hmm. in the original, after the accident and Jane being in a drunken stupor becomes terrified of what happened and runs away. She isn't yeah. really fully aware whether or not she caused the accident. But based on people's speculations of what happened, she starts to kind of believe the stories herself. Yeah. Which just makes it all the more sad. Exactly. Yeah, Jane's resentment towards Blanche leads her to play pranks on her sister. And Jane constantly throws in Blanche's face that her career paid for her success, like I mentioned before. Yeah. Yeah. Because it almost seems like at this point, in this version of the story, if it had not been for Jane's success as a child actress, Blanche wouldn't have gotten the talent or had perfected her talent as her own actress skills to be a successful actress into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Elvira's character is replaced by Dominic, who is Blanche's physical therapist. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there is that difference, yeah. Yeah. And Jane's plan in this film is to make a comeback into show business. First, she goes to a video store to see if there are any of her shows there on VHS tapes. And at the store, she meets Billy Korn, who is replacing the Edwin Flagg character, the pianist she hires in the original film. Mm-hmm. Korn promises to help her get back into the business by performing at a musical number in a talent show, all the while charging her for fees that actually are used to pay Billy's bills. Billy, we come to find out in this version, is a con artist mm-hmm. who owes a lot of people a lot of money. Yeah, And although he pretends to be a casting agent for Jane. He's charging her all this money. Like, I need $500 by this day and $1,000 on this day for all this stuff. And he's really only doing it to pay off his debts. Exactly. Near the end of the movie, Jane realizes that she is performing a drag show with Billy dressed in drag as Blanche, and she feels humiliated. She's not only humiliated, but she has a complete and mental breakdown. Where she runs home and watches her old TV show performances holding her baby Jane doll in one arm and her award. She, in, the, in the other. Yeah. yeah, she won an award trophy. And I can't remember what the award trophy was for, but there's this big moment in the movie where she explains to Billy how her greatest accomplishment in her career was accepting this award. Mm-hmm. And then Jane kills Dominic with a pair of scissors and stores his body in a home theater room. And as the police attend to Blanche at the beach, Jane does attempt suicide by walking into the water only to be dragged out by officers. Okay. But yeah, that's pretty much a majority of the differences between the original and the remake of whatever happened to baby Jane. And like I said, it shows a lot of the true horrors and dark side of child acting. And like I said, when I first watched the original, I thought to myself that if they ever did a remake, especially a remake in like like the 2000s or the 2010s or even now, can you imagine going back, redoing this movie in a way where the child actress or actor mm-hmm. got their start in like the 70s, 80s, and even the 90s? 
Like, don't get me wrong. Child acting has come such a long way since the 1910s and 20s that, you know, Hollywood and other major production companies around the world have done better jobs of taking care of their child actors today. But it has not always been like that. And unfortunately, a lot of child actors of even our own time have fallen the wayside due to abuse or neglect or any sort of mistreatment from the industry. Yeah. But what do you think? I mean, you basically said everything that I was going to say, so you nailed everything on the head. But is there anything that you want to reflect on when it comes to these movies, or is there anything that you would have liked to see be covered in this movie that didn't get covered? No, because I don't know what else would be covered. I mean, the the movies are... I'm not even gonna lie. The movie fucking sucks. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna like massacre this goddamn movie because this movie is a fucking hell trip. If if freaking this movie was any fucking drug, it would be a mixture between meth and acid. Okay. Yeah. So this movie is a trash panda. This movie, okay. yeah, is a fire dumpster. That would win the Fire Dumpster Award. It would win a Raspberry Award for worst great idea to make a movie and write what the movie's about. Best best screenwriters. Ironically worst. enough, though, oh the, the original film was mentioned and indicted on a lot of top lists. They're all on crack. <laughs> like... Like, even Robert Ebert puts this on his greatest movies list. You know who Robert Ebert is? Oh, I know who Ebert is, all right? I've had a few outings with that guy. But do you know who he is? Yes. Yes, Ebert. He partners with that fucking fat ass. Or is he the fat ass? Who are you talking about? Um, wait, who are those two famous, um... I think I'm... I might be mixing the names up. I think yeah, Roger I think, Ebert. Yeah, Roger Ebert usually did a show with another guy. This guy? Yes, he does a show. Yes, him. That fat ass. That's the fat ass. Roger Ebert. He's a Mer- American film critic. Yes, he is. He, he he had a greatest films list, and this is on his top list. The baby Jane Hudson character is even 44 in the top 50 best movie villains list. Well, I mean, that I can see. But mm-hmm. literally, anyone even saying that this is on their like favorite movie list are all out of their damn mind. I liked it. You're out of your damn... You're out of order. <laughs> you're out of order. You're out of order. You're out of order. She's out of order. Yeah, no, literally, honey, y'all on crack. I'm sorry, but I love you all, but I can't watch this movie for shit. I think this movie, like, the original was good. It definitely highlighted how dark the Hollywood industry can be for kids. And oh how, God. if if not treated carefully, how fragile they can be going into adulthood. I mean, because, like I said, look what happened to... Judy Garland. Yeah. Well, look at what happened to all, especially the kids in the 80s. But that's what I'm saying. If they had waited like another 10 or 20 years from 1991 to remake the movie, it would have probably been way more compelling to highlight the woes of a child actor or actress from the 1980s and 90s. It would have made more sense. Yeah. And it would have been, like I said, more compelling. Yeah. But I think the way they did it in 1991 was just a little too 
early. Just wasn't in its time. Like, it just seems to me like the, the only way you could have done it in 1991 is if it was shot for shot, frame for frame of the original. And that's what they did for the most part with the remake. Right. Other than that, this movie's on crack. Right. Literally, if I ever had a bad day, <clears throat> any movie that would describe my bad day would be that movie. But here's one thing that you didn't get out of the remake that you totally missed in the original, though, I will say. The nasty, the nasty fun, fun, kinky fight sex? No. What are you talking about? Between the two sisters. No! You got a chance to miss out on the catastrophe that was baby Jane Hudson's comeback performance of I've Written the Letter to Daddy. No, really. I can't believe that's a fucking song title. You gotta watch the original, honey. No! No, like, you wanna talk about feeling unfucking settled You gotta watch Bette Davis in 1960... Betty Davis. You gotta watch Betty fucking Davis in 1962 singing an, <coughs> an outdated vaudeville song. In her fucking baby Jane outfit with her Maddie fucking wig and her sloppy makeup. It is so off-putting in the worst way possible. And poor Victor Buono had the misfortune of having to sit there pretending to play piano while watching her dance in her like little stage room singing off-key for him to witness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anyway, this... Yeah, I'm not watching this movie. Ever. I would watch it again. Just to watch that. If I ever have a bad day, I'll let you know. Yeah. I'll watch it on my worst day. But yeah, other than that, this has been quite interesting of an episode. I know. Like I said, we haven't done a remake debate in quite some time. We should just, definitely do just, another one of these Yes, soon. just next time, let's do a much better movie and a movie of my choice. Evil Dead. Mm. Remake debate of Evil Dead? You wouldn't want to do that? I mean, yes or no. I mean, don't matter. I mean, it's a lot for you to go over. I mean, well, I'm not talking about the entire franchise. I'm only talking about the original and the remake. I know, but in order for you to watch those two, you have to watch the whole thing also. Oh my god! You know, I was just actually listening to an episode of That Spooky. Oh my god! It's an older episode from like last year, but not even that old if it's last year. I mean, it's an older one. I'm just saying, it's an older one from last year, and they're answering low-stakes advice, and somebody asked them, what scary movie should I watch for the Halloween season? And Tyler recommended Evil Dead, and Johnny asked him, the original? And he's like, number two is my favorite. Actually, number two is actually, I prefer number two than the first one. Johnny called Army of Darkness Medieval Dead. Okay. I mean, I mean, I get that, but no. Um, (laughs) But I do like the third one a lot, too. You don't get it, though? I do get it. The medieval dead. Yes, evil dead. Medieval. You shut up. Medieval dead. Hey, hey, stop that. If anyone's going to be, if anyone knows the puns, (laughs) it's me around here. But yeah, they, they recommend to watch it. And I think at that point in time, Tyler was getting all of his, like, tattoos in order. He's working on sleep. Yeah, well, now he's out of order. Anyway. You're out of order. You're out of order. <laughs> How come you don't have an Evil Dead tattoo yet? I don't know. What's I up with that? If, I, if anything, I'd probably be groovy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the wording groovy would be on there. You know what I thought of the other day? 
What? And it's sort of inspired by another podcast I just listened to. If I did have to get an Evil Dead tattoo, it would probably be the Necronomicon book. I thought of... So, like, you know how you have nothing gold can stay tattooed on your arm? Mm-hmm. I thought about getting one similar, but it would be all work and no play. Makes Aaliyah a very sad girl. No. Just that all work and no play. That's it. Actually, I should have done that. Leave, leave it ambiguous. Yo, that should have been my writing on my arm, all work and no play. I would wear that. 22-year-old Colin would have been so happy. 34-year-old Colin is pissed. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, 21-year-old, 22-year-old Colin, what is wrong with you? You didn't put down all work and no play? Anyway, I'm tired. <laughs> this is what I was actually, I was about to say, I prefer sleep right now than freaking <laughs> what we're doing. I love doctor sleep, but yeah, I would get... No, 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 I'm talking about actual sleep. I know, yes. but I would definitely get all work and no play a tattoo on my arm. Yo. I'd wear it proudly at work. I think it's not too late for me to take this out and put all work and no play. I don't know how you would be able to do it, though. Yeah, that's true. Because to cover up something this would be hard to do. Actually, not really, unless if I actually put actual artwork in front of this. And then it would just mostly be a darker tattoo. You could probably get... Well, no, it probably I, wouldn't fit. I, I was did. thinking, like, a typewriter. Like, cover this up with, like, part of the typewriter and then have the paper. But you already have something in your ah. inner arm. That would get in the way. Yeah. Well, that were I remember I was going to do my Nosferatu. True. Right here. I was going to do you that. Could get, yeah, because I was going to say, if you cover up your nothing gold quote with a Nosferatu thing, you could probably cover it up well and then get all work and no play tattooed somewhere else. Like like Nosferatu has a bubble and it says all work and no play? You can get it tattooed across your upper back. Huh? All work and no play? I That'd be a bad idea, honestly. Okay. Because you know how my back gets in the wintertime. Yeah. All dried and, and scaly like an alligator. Yeah, and I look like a mutant. <laughs> like, I don't want that. Or a mute. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but anyway, I think we're good with our episode now. All right. Other than that, yes. I, we all hope you enjoyed the episode that we did today. And we will hopefully be back for another episode next week. Hopefully. But if not, don't get upset. We anyway. have to try. We have to at least try. We'll at least try. Anyway, I'm sorry, baby. But listen, I love you. And I love our audience. And thank you all for listening. And this has been the Abby Normal Podcast. I am your host, Aaliyah. Do you hear that? I, I hear you. Yeah. yeah, I know. I'm Alaya. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. I could do this all day. I know. I okay, Captain America. Anyway, I am a college. <laughs> and I'm Alaya. <laughs> Signing off saying hag horse for life. Shut up. Yeah. As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are currently on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe, or a nice review for our podcast. It helps boost our show positively. You can also follow us on Instagram and now on TikTok.